great to be back, and uh, so we're going we're gonna to talk today about uh, what's coming up in the month of July. Pastor Mike, I'm excited about your message series coming up in July and spilling over into a week of August. The series is uh, entitled Flawed But Blessed. So, who's both flawed and blessed? Ooh. Um, everyone except God. <laughs> and the angels, technically, the, the holy angels. Yeah, um, I, I think of this guy who read the Bible for the first time years ago at my last church, and he's really brand new to it. And after a couple of weeks of reading, he came to me really confused, and he said, Mike, where are all the good people? <laughs> so I told him, he was going to be born at about two-thirds in. So, uh, yeah, he, he was really shocked to see that Abraham and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph and Moses and David and all the kind of Sunday school heroes were very, very flawed. And yet, God in his mercy blessed them. So I, I kind of explained to him why that's such a good thing, because when he thinks about his own flaws, he's not disqualified from God's presence or his forgiveness or his grace. So who specifically is flawed? Oh, yeah, in the series. So thank you. You had to throw another slow pitch at me. <laughs> yeah, we're um, spending a few weeks talking about the life of Jacob, uh, who's the guy who later got the nickname Israel. So huge player in the biblical story and whose name is still used today. Well, there's five messages in this series. And as I was going through them, uh, there's a word or a phrase that kind of sums up each of these five messages. And I'd like you to, like to ask you about uh, those five. In the first message, the phrase is self-control. And in the message, you say, a lack of self-control is at the root of so much of our dysfunction. What do you mean by that? Yeah, I find it pretty rare when someone in the church doesn't know the right thing to do. And sometimes people are ignorant of God's law, but uh, with my counseling, with my own life, 99% of the time, on paper, we know what to do. It's just we don't have the self-control to actually do it. So instead of having the patience to wait for the blessing of God then, we just want it now, no matter what kind of damage it causes. So I, I think of in marriages, when I try to get what I want right now and I don't have self-control, boom. I mean, that's a dysfunctional relationship. So that's where the quote came from. If, if we could have, by God's grace, the fruit of self-control, my goodness, how many... How many of our problems would instantly disappear? So what does this have to do with this, the biblical record of Jacob? Uh, yeah, so Jacob has this brother Esau who becomes famous that he has no self-control. He's so impulsive that he gives up something really, really good, like his blessing and his inheritance for a, a cup of soup, I think it is, which... You know, on paper, it's insane. Like, eh, I hope that soup tasted really good, man. <laughs> and the New Testament comes back to talk about this sin of, of Esau, which is really, I think, a paradigm for every sin, right? When we look back and say, I'm so glad I shouted, that, that was worth it. Or I'm so glad I drank too much. Or man, getting my way in that relationship really worked out. <laughs> so, I mean, it's so small in retrospect. So this message really tries to learn from the sin of Esau taking a deep breath, and trusting that if God forbids it, he really has something better for us, even if it's not right here and right now. From, from your experience as a pastor, what are the, say, three most common self-control issues that Christians seem to face? Yeah, 
I think my top three are self, sex, and stuff. So you and I, you and I are pastors, right? So we, uh, <laughs> well, we, 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 we have to have alliteration, otherwise it doesn't count. Yeah, so self, just like wanting what I want. Um, we say in our home, Kim and I and the girls, like me first makes a mess, but you first makes us blessed. Mm-hmm. But man, that is a daily fight. Like what I want for dinner, the show that I want to watch, the place where I want to sit in the car, am I shotgun or not? You know, the mm-hmm. things that I want to talk about, that's just human nature. So self is the most difficult thing to control. Um, and then sex, I, I think about just the, the drive of sex. How many people struggle with pornography or affairs or lustful looks just a there's a passage in Job where he says, I made a covenant with my eyes not to look lustfully at a woman. So really hard to control ourselves sexually. But man, think of how good the world would be if we could. And then, and then stuff. Man, marketers are good at what they do. Um, sometimes I'm really happy with my life. And then I make the mistake of walking through the mall. <laughs> and then like, oh, I, did, I didn't realize I wanted a new uh, device that badly. So, you know, just being self-controlled to say, hey, God's given me a good life. He's with me today. I'm blessed. I'm forgiven. I don't need to go into debt. I I don't need another thing to be okay. So yeah, self, sex, stuff. I could add to that list, but you only asked for three. So I'm done. (laughs) The second message, uh, the word is lies. In the story of Jacob, uh, who's lying? Ooh. Yeah, so the, the name Jacob, right, means heel grabber. So when he came out of the womb with Esau, it was like he was not holding on to Esau's coattails, but holding on to his heel. And it became kind of this metaphor that he was going to trip his brother up. And he, he couldn't do it with his brawn or his strength. He, you know, he wasn't the, the brute of a brother who could wrestle Esau to the ground. He had to do it with his, his intellect and his words and his deception. And so, yeah, Jacob has this, this epic fail where he and actually his own mother trick his aging disabled father so he can get what he wants so yeah if if you're listening and you haven't read the story this is crazy he uh he like tries to pretend to be esau because his dad is blind um and it's an amazing story of deception pretty depressing and it works for the short term right so he didn't have self-control to wait for the blessing of god and it's going to rip this family apart and it's such a, a great example that when we want what we want and we'll do anything to get it, we erode trust, we damage relationships, which is why God cares so much about being truthful and honest and not giving false testimony. You know, in the message, you talk about different kind of lies mm. uh, that people tell. Uh, could you just give us a couple of examples? Oh, uh, yeah, man. Exaggerations are lies. Half-truths are lies. Um, Excuse me, sir, do you know how fast you were driving? Uh, no. Or who started it? Or what really happened? Or what did you do last night after we went to bed? We, just by our nature, right? We're in, instinctively self-protective. And so if the truth will cost us, if people will be disappointed or will miss out on the job or it'll cost us money, like the, the sinful nature within us just wants anything but the truth. And uh, I think we see that in Jacob's life and sadly in our lives still today. In the message, you uh, highlight uh, two really big lies. Hmm. Lie number one, you're too good. And lie number two, 
you're too bad. Help me better understand uh, what you mean by that. Yeah, yeah. So, yeah, oh, is it John eight forty four? Jesus called the devil the father of lies. Right. So the devil, Jesus is the truth. The devil loves the lie. And if there's one lie the devil loves, it's the one that keeps you from Jesus. So I think this is like 1A and 1B of what the devil does best. 1A, if I think I'm, I'm a good person, in fact, I'm such a good person that there's no way that I'm in danger of not being with God. Of, of course I would go to heaven. Well, then I won't repent of the sins I have. And then I won't trust in Jesus as a savior because honestly, what does a guy like me need to be saved from? So it's kind of this morality comparison game because I'm not a pedophile, because I'm not Hitler, because I'm not a terrorist. Well, I must be a good enough person relatively to deserve heaven. And if you think you deserve heaven, you won't care much about grace because grace is undeserved love. Um, maybe the corollary of that, you end up in the same spot, is thinking, oh, oh no, I'm, I know that I'm not a good person. In fact, I'm such a bad person that God could never love me, that God would never want to be with me. You know, maybe it's this one big thing I did. I, I messed up my family. I uh, cheated. I'm an addict. Or just something I've struggled with forever. I still worry. I'm still jealous. I, I still battle depression and despair. And I kind of think that even though the Bible says that God so loved the world, he must not love me. And I must be the exception to that rule. So I think the basic message of the Bible is just meant to explode those two lies. Like, nope, nope, you're a sinner. And and you might be an average sinner or an above-average sinner, but you're still a sinner. And without holiness, no one will see the face of God. But thank God that Jesus came to rescue wretched people. He died for the ungodly. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So I love that Jesus comes boldly with the truth to, to bust up the devil's plan and to get us into the presence of God forever. The third message uh, is, all caps, God is... Oh, yes. Now, now, before we get to the message, <laughs> you wrote a book two years ago called Three Words That Will Change Your Life. And those three words are? God. Woo! All caps. God is here. Well, that book was a huge <laughs> success. And I'd just like to ask you about it. Based upon the feedback you got, uh, what surprised you most about what people said about it? Yeah, so it ended up as a, I don't know if I call it a huge success, Bruce, <laughs> a decent success mainly because my mom bought thousands of copies and stored them. No, okay. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Um, yeah, so what, uh, what feedback surprised me? Um, I remember the story. So there was this older Lutheran pastor's wife who, you know, her husband faithfully preached the word for decades and decades. He passed away a few years ago. And I, I don't even know how she found Time of Grace or she found us, but... Um, she's reading the book, and she gets to the last chapter, which is called What Most Christians Miss. And she confessed to me later, she's thinking, okay. I'm like, yep, yeah, nice, yeah. nice, right. nice marketing hook. Oh, there's something I missed. You know, I'm, I'm sure you're going to tell me what I've been missing my whole life as a devout follower of Jesus. And then she reads the chapter. And it, it hits her between the eyes, like, Yes, she, she was in church every week reading her Bible every day and she missed the fact that eternal life isn't just for the future. Being with God isn't just for after death. You know, Jesus offered life now for those who trust in him, the presence of God right now. 
And uh, it was so cool to see not just the intellectual impact that that had, but the emotional. In fact, she lives, um, she lives an hour and a half from our church here in Appleton, and she and her kids and her grandkids, they drive up every Sunday. Really? Yeah, to worship with us. So, That's awesome. Yeah, I see her, and she's just on fire. They're serving. We, we tried to talk them out of membership. Like, no, that's a, that's a long way to drive. You're probably not going to make it every Sunday, but there they are. And they're just passionate about the presence of God. That's all there is through Jesus. So the book, Three Words That Will Change Your Life, is really the same uh, theme of our third message. It's all about a stairway to heaven. What would you say is the most important takeaway that you want people to have? Oh, Bruce, I have some notes here that, that say you were a freshman in high school when Led Zeppelin released the song Stairway to Heaven. Is that true? Yes. Uh, i sorry to say that. <laughs> <laughs> now, our longtime listeners know that you have a, a Moana and a Backstreet Boys tattoo. Do you also have a, a Led Zeppelin tattoo? Well, that would be more appropriate. <laughs> <laughs> more age appropriate. Yes. <laughs> An older Christian man with a Moana tattoo would be a red flag. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah, your question. Uh, what was the, the takeaway from this message? Uh, I love the line. So Jacob has this, this dream where he sees this stairway to heaven. He's just like in the middle of nowhere. And he realizes, oh, my goodness, God is right here. You know, a stairway, I think of, is something that connects one place to another place. And he had pictured God like way in some other place. But he realized, wow, there's this connection. Angels are here. God is here. And so he called the place Bethel. Um, El is the Hebrew word for God, like Nathaniel or Michael or Rachel. And Beth means house. So Bethel is house of God. And he, I think his quote was, how awesome is this place? Because God is here. So I, I think the takeaway that I want people to have for that message is you might feel like you're in a, an average, mediocre, humdrum place. You're driving a, a 2001 car with more than a little bit of rust on the side. You're working in an, in an average factory, doing construction. You live in a, a mediocre home. But if you believe in Jesus, how awesome is that place? Like God, Christians get excited to think about going to Israel and like setting their feet on the place where Jesus was. But the gospel says that if you're a Christian, your feet are standing right now in the place that Jesus is. Mm -hmm. So, not to mess with the tourism industry, but wow, how, how awesome is that? That if we can see with the eyes of faith, the almighty, satisfying, glorious God is right here in this place where his people are. The fourth message, the word that comes to mind is you talk about karma. And I'll have to admit that you gave me a different perspective on karma. I always associated it with non-Christian, Christianity philosophy of life. Hmm. But you talk about how Christians deal with karma. What is it and why is it so deadly? Yeah. Yeah, that's a good, a good call out. So karma has a technical definition in some Eastern religion. Um, in general, though, the concept is you get what you got coming. So Eastern, some Eastern religions would say, if you're a terrible person, it's coming back to you. Maybe not in this life, but in the one to come. I think on paper, Christians don't agree with that. Like, well, if I'm a sinner, then I'm going to be condemned to hell. But if I'm a good person, I go to heaven. Like, we, we don't buy into that. But maybe in our daily relationships, like he started it. I think of the two little brothers fighting and uh, 
mom or dad calls them out, but he started it, which is karma, right? Like I can punch him in the face because he's sitting in my spot. <laughs> my, my sins aren't a big deal because that person started it. And man, is that once again, so natural for us, you know, being nice to nice people makes sense. Being nice to jerks does not. Going the extra mile for someone who's gone the extra mile for me. Yeah, I get that. Going the extra mile for someone who is stubborn and hasn't been nice to me in, in weeks, months, years. That, that just doesn't make sense. So, so karma is actually a really logical way that our hearts and our brains work. And uh, grace really blows that up. And it's challenging, but it's beautiful when it happens. Where do you find an example of karma in the story of Jacob? Oh, yeah. So, you know, Jacob, this liar and deceiver, he, <laughs> he kind of meets his equal in his uncle Laban, who is just as much of a heel-grabbing trickster, deceiver. I mean, just an epic stuff. If you don't think the Bible is interesting, you know, Laban works out this contract where if Jacob works for him for, what, seven years, he can marry his daughter. And then on the wedding night... I'm still curious how this happens. He somehow switches the daughters. Is is Jacob super intoxicated without electricity? Was it really dark? How do, how do you know? But he wakes up next to the woman he did not think he was going to marry. And so here Lake, uh, Laban's tricks and sins against Jacob. So Jacob returns it right back to him. And Jacob comes out. Yeah, it's, and it's just this crazy cycle of drama and vengeance. And if they had reality shows in that century, I think these two guys would have they really would have been. Now, we would have tuned in for every episode. So, yeah, it's sad. It happened back then, and it still happens today. The last message is about prayer. And it's about Jacob wrestling with God the night before he meets up, uh, reunited with his brother Esau. So what's the takeaway for us in our own prayer life from this uh, fifth message? Yeah. Yeah, I like the, the phrase wrestling with God. Did you ever wrestle back in the day? Uh, no. no. I mean, with my brother on. <laughs> but he started it, right? <laughs> yeah, I, I haven't done official wrestling, but it looks to me like one of the most exhausting physical things you could do. You know, you could play basketball for four quarters or play 90 minutes of soccer. I don't think you could wrestle for 90 minutes, right? So it is hard work it is exhausting you have to be strong to do it um and i'm not sure about you but i find it fairly easy to make it to church i have a good habit of that and reading my bible is just what i do every morning but even at age 40 i have constantly struggled to have a really strong prayer life it's felt like wrestling to me like making the time finding the time keeping a list of not just saying i'll pray for you but actually do it, to actually think about the thing I'm praying about instead of like <laughs> my, my squirrel-like brain. It, it feels exhausting sometimes, like wrestling is. And yet, we see in the story of Jacob that God blesses those who hold on to him, who talk to God constantly and say, I'm not going to let you go. You said it, God. You promised. It's not here today, but you said you were going to bless me. So that, that kind of, that's hard work for our faith. But, man, is it worth it? And I love how this message brings that out. Well, thanks, Pastor Mike, for the flawed but blessed uh, message series. Our listeners can watch or listen to this entire series over the coming weeks by going to our website at timeofgrace.org.
And also for this month, uh, we are offering a book entitled Undeserved. This is uh, another one of those books that you and I teamed up on. Now, the first half of the book, all five of these messages uh, are there. And people can read them for themselves along with some study questions. And then there's a second half of the book, Bruce. <laughs> I'm actually excited about this one. We, uh, you and I teamed up, but for the book Out of Context, which uh, I know many of our listeners really responded to and, and loved that. So I'm, I'm hoping we have the same kind of blessing and impact with this one. So, yeah, we've talked about kind of my first half of the book. Can you tell us a little bit about what your half looks like? Sure, I'll just sum it up uh, briefly. You know how I like threads? I have heard, I have heard that that was the it's shameless like plug for your podcast <laughs> Bible threads. Thank you for honoring Jesus's favorite sport. <laughs> All right, back, back to your messages. <laughs> so uh, look at uh, flaws first of all, and there's two major flaws uh, in this whole story. Uh, one is deception. Uh, where you know Jacob steals, deceives his, his brother, or his, uh, deceives his father to get the father's uh, blessing, mm-hmm. and then you just talked about uh, Laban and Jacob, uh, Jacob, Jacob being the one in this case being deceived, and then the whole thing about favoritism. Mm-hmm. Go back to Isaac and Rebecca. Isaac's favorite was Esau. Rebecca's favorite was Jacob, mm-hmm. and that caused problems. When when Jacob has to flee and he gets to Laban. You know, and he ends up with uh, Rachel and Leah. Mm. He shows a lot of favoritism uh, to Rachel. Mm. That causes nothing but grief in that uh, household. And then later, uh, Jacob shows favoritism to the son that was born to Rachel, Joseph. Mm. Uh, And that caused envy and jealousy and, and all sorts of things. So do a deeper dive into deception and favoritism. And then uh, switch that to the blessings. And as I was uh, studying this, realized that there are seven times that God encounters Jacob. Mm-hmm. And most of those uh, you cover in your, in your message series, but just, you know, it starts out with the stairway to heaven, mm-hmm. you know, at Bethel, and then it's going to all come back there as well. Uh, and the final one is when uh, Joseph is down in Egypt, second in command. And uh, that's a whole great story that we can just spend hours uh, uh, talking about. But God comes to uh, Jacob and says, go down to Egypt. Take your whole family, everything, all your flocks, uh, Mm. go down, and Joseph will get you a place to live. Mm. And all of that, you know, four centuries later plus, uh, God's going to lead a very large nation out of Egypt. Yeah. Under the leadership of Moses. So all part of God's plan. And that so fits. My my brain was thinking all those appearances and all those blessings for the guy who is so flawed. Yeah. Like <laughs> deception, favoritism, and God says, you know what I should do? I should bless that guy. <laughs> so yeah, so obvious that God is operating by grace and not by karma. So thank God for the uniqueness of Christianity. Hmm. Well, our listeners can get a copy of this book by going to our website at timegrace.org. Pastor Mike, you got any uh, stories about how people have been impacted by time of grace in the last month? I do. Um, So let me tell you the story of two pastors we just heard from. One who is in ministry 
and the other who is in a penitentiary. Mm. So a pastor emailed me maybe two weeks ago and kind of admitted that he, um, he gets really anxious about parts of his ministry. You know, there's hard things that pastors have to do, difficult conversations, sometimes things that are way above our head, problems we don't know how to solve. And he had said that sometimes when he, he drives up to make a home visit, he's just so anxious about how things are going to go. And he said that the concept of God's presence really helped him turn a corner with his anxiety. And what he tells himself now is before he gets out of the car, no matter how it goes during the visit, like whether he is this rock star who has every answer or <laughs> he just totally makes a fool of himself and can't think of the, the right thing to say, when he gets back into the car and sits down, God is going to be there. So it's not like God is listening in with his angels and like, well, if you mess it up, I'm, I'm bouncing. And he, he just said having this consistent presence of a faithful God, it just helped him take a deep breath know that the visit was going to be okay. Yeah, I really love that. I can relate to that too. And what, you know, if you're listening and you're not a pastor, think that same thing. You might be going in for a job interview or meeting someone for a date or you know, trying to work something out with a friend. Just whatever happens, God's going to be there in the end. So yeah, that's the ministry story. Um, then the penitentiary story. So I get this letter in the mail from... I think he said he was a Lutheran pastor who unfortunately had some sort of sexual sin that landed him in prison. I didn't describe what it was. And uh, it was really cool. He, he was saying just how limited grace is from people when you commit a sexual sin. You know, as a culture, thankfully, we take sexual sins, especially those with a, a legal dimension to them, very, very seriously. We have plenty of law for that. We don't minimize it. But those who commit it find themselves very ostracized. They're like the tax collectors and sinners of the modern day. And so he, he found Time of Grace on TV. Um, I, I wrote down this quote. He said, uh, it was biblically sound television. And some of the only, that, only ones that he could find in prison. So, you know, while lamenting his sin and while being grateful for the system of justice that keeps others safe, just knowing that a repentant soul was hearing about grace and not just getting what he deserved, so, yeah, those two stories reminded me that life takes us into really different places, but grace is like the water that gets down to the bottom and just floods everyone who needs it. Thanks for sharing that. Yeah, I'd love to. Thanks for everyone for sticking with me and Bruce for listening. Hope you're excited about the series coming up and the, the brand new book, Undeserved. Uh, once again, we, we love reaching as many people as we can with the kind of love that comes with no strings attached. And uh, as much as we try to do our part and make great content for you, um, you can do your part just by liking this message, sharing it, rating it, review it. Uh, you probably heard me and Bruce say that before, but it really does make a difference. So thank you for all of you who've done that. I just want to encourage and urge you if you haven't, uh, you'd help us out. And most importantly, you'd help others hear about Jesus. So thanks for joining us this month. We'll catch you next time. And God bless your day. <laughs>